Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome once again. Uh, today will be uh, August the 4th, or August the 1st. I don't know why I had the 4th online. Uh, but August the 1st of uh, 2016, uh, Monday. And uh, I just pray that um, you enjoy the middle of summer. Um, the hot days are to here. Uh, we're definitely going to be hot. We're going to be in the 90 degrees here in western Kentucky all throughout the week uh, with chances of thunderstorms, which one just passed not too long ago. Uh I know the last time on uh, Friday I, I asked and requested that uh, you pray for my spiritual leader Michael and his his mother uh, his mother uh, had a stroke and she was paralyzed uh, to the point where you know they they really couldn't feed her without uh, doing tubes and and mother was insistent upon not having that done so I haven't um, I wish I had a, a update of of uh, what's going on there, but uh, I just ask that you just continue to pray for uh, the family uh, in uh, that situation. Heavenly Father, we just uh, we give you thanks. And life, life is short, you know. We're like chaff in the wind. We're here today and gone tomorrow. And Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for. Uh, Mother Mary, you know, who will be joining you shortly, if, if, uh, just joining you shortly, Lord, and, and, uh, I just pray for her family, dear Heavenly Father. I pray for Michael's brothers and sisters, those that do not know you, Lord, that just may they see the comfort and peace that Janie and Michael have, even though in a moment of sadness, in a time of sadness, actually, um, they're uplifted by your spirit and knowing that um, this is only the beginning. This is only the beginning. And I just pray that they come to know you as we do in your son's Jesus name. I pray. Amen. Well, we continue our reading and uh, today is like a mustard seed. And the memory verse for today is the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. At the heart of it all today, following his baptism and temptation, Jesus proclaims the nearness of the kingdom of God, the subject of some of the most memorable parables and teachings. It is a spiritual kingdom that the people of this day were not expecting. In Jesus' day, his fellow Jews awaited and prophesied Messiah, whom they envisioned as a king and a military leader who would boot out the Roman Empire, uh, Roman oppressors and usher in an age of unequal peace and prosperity. Israel would be the center of the world, the envy of other nations. Jesus was, as it turned out, the Messiah, but 
far different from what the Jews had expected. His announcement, the kingdom of God, would attract a large audience, but the kind of kingdom he had in mind was something more enduring than a worldly kingdom. In his temptation by Satan, he had refused earthly power. He had a daunting task of teaching the followers to pursue, as he did, the path of spiritual power. Turn and believe. To understand the message of the kingdom of God, we have to do a quick survey of Israel's history. When the Israelites settled in Canaan after being delivered from slavery in Egypt, they managed to exist for several centuries without any king. The book of Judges shows that when Israel was oppressed by neighbor nations, God rose up deliverers, the judges, who would lead the people into battle against the foes. In 1 Samuel, we see that the Judas judge priest Samuel, though highly regarded, had scapegoat sons, or scapegrace sons, who would have been his successor. And a key term for today is in your midst. Jesus announces that the kingdom of God is not only in the future, but is already in your midst. And the Greek words can also mean within you and within your reach. People of faith can look forward to the kingdom of heaven in the future, but also experience it as a present reality. The people pressured Samuel to set up a king so that Israel uh, will present a united front to the world and thus be free from invasion and, uh, and oppression. And Samuel resisted this pressure for a time since he had to the old he held to the old conviction that Israel's only king was God. The Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And that's first Samuel chapter eight, verse seven. Instead of relying on God, Israel wanted a king so they could be like the other nations. But God told Samuel to go ahead and anoint a king for Israel. And the stones and the stories of the kings, mostly moral failures, are told in Samuel and Kings. The long and sordid history of Israel's kings made the people crave an ideal king to rule over them, and that yearning was seen in the hopes for a Messiah, God's ideal king. This hope existed alongside the hope for ousting the foreign power, Rome, and for finally being ruled by God himself. Human kings inevitably disappointed, but God would not. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. And that's Psalms chapter 145, verse 13. The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. 
And that's Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. The idea of the kingdom of God constituted the real contrast between Israel and other nations of ancient times and Israel's real title to distinction. The whole Old Testament was a protoratory presentation of the rule of heaven. It's kingdom time. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And that's Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Having been baptized and tested by Satan in the region of Judea, Jesus returned to his home turf, Galilee, and he inaugurated his public ministry by announcing the nearness of the kingdom of God. The Greek word is baseli. It's usually translated kingdom and can refer to a nation, but it more correctly would be reign. What Jesus had in mind was what we call a divine reconquest of the world. In Eden, God had ruled as king until man and woman yielded to the universal temptation to be God-like themselves. God never ceased to be in charge of the world, of course, but what Jesus announced to the world was that the rival powers, Satan, demons, human pride and selfishness, were about to lose their grasp on the world. The world would in time gladly accept the loving rule of God once again. The time has come. Time is Kairos, the special time. God has appointed the day of the Lord that the prophets foresaw. Jesus announced the kingdom was near. In fact, the phrase is near doesn't really catch the urgency of the Greek, which might be better rendered as fast approaching. Sin could be defined as a refusal to accept the reign of God, so repentance must be preached. Enmity with God is the source of all that poisons men, overcoming the enmity and the basic condition for peace in the individual and in the world. Repentance is not just sorrow for the consequences of sin, but sorrow for ever having loved and enjoyed the sin itself. Repentance means hating one's own sin as much as hating others' sins. Repentance means we can give up relying on our own efforts to save ourselves and let God take charge. Repentance was part of John the Baptist's message, accepting the rule of God, admitting your own failings and resolving to change direction. But Jesus' preaching of repentance had something that John's lacked, the proclamation that the kingdom of God had arrived. John preached repentance. Jesus added, believe the good news. Repenting is never about just abandoning the bad, but about embracing the good. Jesus' message is a positive one. He is proclaiming, uh, proclaiming evangelism. Good news, evangeline. 
can mean good news in general, but it also carried the pacific idea of amnesty. When a new king came to power or of a general's victory in the field, many ancient peoples regarded their king as divine, and the coming of a new king would, they thought, bring suete, salvation, or wholeness. Here, however, the good news is about God, so there is much more likelihood of real salvation than any earthly king could bring. Jesus announces the necessity to believe the good news. And a cultural insight here, real quick, a turning back to God. Repent translates the Greek word metanoia, M-E-T-A-N-O-I-A, meaning change of mind. The pagan Greeks used the word to expect re express regret or sorrow over a specific act. But as it is used in the Bible, it refers to a whole change of life, a radical break from the past, a moral and spiritual conversion in the preaching of Jesus. The kingdom of God was at hand, fast approaching, and the only proper response to it was metanoia. Jesus would find, as we will see in later chapters, that the wise and well-educated who had a high opinion of their minds saw no need for a change of mind and did not respond to his message. Many of the Jews believed that the Messiah would never come until all Jews repented. The coming of Jews of Jesus proved this was not the case. If the Messiah had waited for this to happen, he would have never have come. The Messiah came insisting on repentance and emphasizing that the coming of the kingdom was good news. To put one's old life behind and begin a new life in loving fellowship with God was something joyous, which is why Jesus compared the kingdom to a man finding a hidden treasure and the festivity of the wedding feast. Our word repent is incidentally rooted in the Latin word pantani, to be sorry. This is not just intellectual acceptance, but faith, trust. To believe in and accept the role of God is to trust Him more than we trust ourselves. As Jesus traveled about Galilee with His message of the kingdom, people responded in different ways, with hostility, indifference, acceptance, or elation. Among those who accepted the teaching, some people proved more steadfast than others. A situation Jesus captured in one of his most famous parables, God's seed on the human soul. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, make it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 2 and 9, and also 18 and 23, 18 through 23. Some of Jesus' most memorable sayings were in the form of parables, short stories in which situations from everyday life were compared to deep spiritual realities. Jesus was not a philosopher spouting off different abstract terms, but a captivating speaker who told stories that stuck in people's hearts. His parables were not spoken in the synagogues, where the speaker had a captive audience until the service ended, but in the open air, where a person could walk away at any time unless was holding his interest. This amazingly deep-minded man had the gift of communicating simply with simple folk. The Gospel of John refers to Jesus as the Word made flesh. In a sense, parables were also the Word made flesh. Jesus was putting heavenly truths in earthly wrappings. One purpose of the parable, aside from holding people's attention, was to make the mind and spirit work to unravel a truth, to exercise the spiritual muscles. Figuring out a parable resorted, resulted in that aha moment that is so important in learning. Parables were a way of appealing to the listeners, but not spoon-feeding them everything to, everything to them. Jesus spoke this parable while seated on a boat in the lake. There was such a crowd on the lake shore that, that the speaker himself had to take to the water. Jesus' listeners would have been mostly working-class people like himself, so Jesus used words and images they could easily grasp. It is quite likely that an actual farmer sowing his seed was nearby when he spoke. The key point of the parable was that Jesus expected all of Israel to sprout spiritually, yet in fact only a few would. 
The idea of a gradual growth ran counter to all expectations of a messiah ushering in the kingdom suddenly and with great fanfare. On the contrary, Jesus said it would take time, as all good things do. One important fact to keep in mind is that in time and place, sowing preceded plowing. We normally think of a seed being planted in plowed ground, but in Jesus' day it was the other way around. Sowing was often done by attaching a sack of seed to a cow, poking holes in the sack, and leading the beast over the field. And inevitably some seed would fall on infertile spots. The seed was scattered, then the farmer plowed it under, awaiting, under, awaiting the result of rain, sun, and time. Along the path is not quite correct since it Jesus suggests alongside. In fact, the seed fell on the path, which is important. The seed that fell on the path and never sprouted represents people who are simply indifferent to the message. The rocky places are where the limestone of the region is just barely below the soil, making it impossible for plants to put down good roots. The seed on the rocky soil represents something that have begun but never finished. Note that those who fall away in time of trial, the rocky group, initially received the word of God with joy. This applied to many of the Jesus' followers, but a ruthless faith does not endure. One suspects that many such people are spiritual faddists, people with the weakness for sudden enthusiasm. They are passionate about a teacher or teaching for a while, but then move on to another, shallow soil, shallow people. The thorns would have been turned under during the plowing, but their seeds were still present in the soil. The thorns are the worldly cares that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount warned people not to fret over. Here's a did you know. Reflecting on the parable of the sower, Robert Bruce, a missionary to Iran in the 1800s, wrote, I am not reaping the harvest. I can scarcely claim to be sowing the seed. I am hardly plowing the soil, but I am gathering out the stones. That, too, is missionary work. Let it be supported by love and sympathy and a fervent prayer. One message of the parable is that the kingdom of God will come and will thrive, despite many obstacles. Though much of the seed sown is wasted, the parable ends positively. A bumper crop to be harvested, Jesus no doubt meant the parable to be an encouragement for his disciples then and now. Note that the parable does not deal with people who reject Jesus and his message, but with those who accept it, at least temporarily. Clearly, not everyone who calls himself a disciple will endure. And just as clearly, not all who persevere are at the same spiritual level, for the crop yields are much greater for some than others. In the parable, understand doesn't mean to grasp intellectually, 
but to comprehend the real meaning of the kingdom, to understand what being part of it involves, including at times of suffering and persecution. Jesus, no doubt, intended the parable to give hope to his followers who may have grown frustrated with his mission. While they saw him as a great and an extraordinary man, perhaps even saw him as the Messiah that Israel had longed for, they must have had doubts, seeing the hostility of most of the devout Jews, the Pharisees. The people was so reminded the wavering disciples that spiritual seed was being sown, that there was a harvest in the future that would make it all the sowing and waiting seem worthwhile. In the words of Paul, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truths. And that's Colossians chapter 1 verse 6. Hiding the truth. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parable? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. He will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 and 17. The word translated secrets is mysteria, not mysteries, in our usual sense by referring to things that are clear to an insider but not to the outsider. To most of the people in the crowds, Jesus was a dynamic speaker who told entertaining stories. To whom, to those who understood him and his grand purpose, the stories meant much more. For those are open to the words of the Lord, much more wisdom can be gained. To those willing to listen closely and put the words of life into practice, spiritual growth is possible. The haves become the have-mores, while those who neglect the gift become the have-nots. See, but do not see, means roughly, see without paying attention. The quote from Isaiah 6 contains the words spoken by God to the prophet when he had committed himself to be God's spokesperson to Israel. 
On first reading, the words sound harsh, as if God was deliberately choosing to hide the truth from the people. But this is certainly not the meaning. Isaiah was called to preach to a faithless people, and so was Jesus. The Isaiah quote is something foreign to us, but would have made sense to Jesus, Jewish contemporaries, using a command to express a result. Those who hear and understand are, Jesus says, uniquely blessed. The righteous people of the early times would have envied the chance to hear the words of one who was not just a prophet of God, but the word of God himself. Small, hidden, and growing. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows it's the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And that's Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. Okay, we're, we come to an end of this reading for now. Like a mustard seed. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you and continue just to give you praise, dear Lord, for the opportunity to share these words uh, through this medium, Lord. And, uh, and I just pray that you just touch those that believe, enlighten their hearts, and, and just draw them closer to you, dear Heavenly Father. Make them want to become in a closer relationship with you. Help them make their light shine in their deeds, in their gestures, in their speaking. And Lord, for those that, uh, that, are, that don't know you, Lord, I just hope and pray that seeds are sown upon them and they'll seek and want to find you. And I just give you all the praise in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. And if there's anybody that's listening out here that doesn't know the Lord, it's really simple. All you got to do is just, in your heart, come to know who God is by asking him to forgive you. Well, be blessed and have a good day. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.